Section two of the McDermott's of Ballycloran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bob Newfeld. The McDermott's of Ballycloran by Anthony Trollope. Section two. The McDermott family. Maxie's story runs thus. About sixty years ago, a something Macdermot, true Milesian, pious Catholic, and descendant of King Somebody, died somewhere, having managed to keep a comfortable little portion of his ancestors' royalties to console him for the loss of their sceptre. He, having two sons, and disdaining to make anything but estated gentlemen of them, made over in some fictitious manner, for in those righteous days a Roman Catholic could make no legal will, to his eldest the estate on which he lived, and to the youngest that of Ballycloran, about six hundred as bad acres as a gentleman might wish to call his own. But Thaddeus, otherwise Thaddy Macdermot, being an estated gentleman, must have a gentleman's residence on his estate and the house of Ballycloran was accordingly built. Had Thaddy Macdermot had ready money, it might have been well built. But, though an estated gentleman, he had none. He had debts, even when his father died, and though he planned, ordered, and agreed for a house, such as he thought the descendant of a Connaught prince might inhabit without disgrace, it was ill-built, half-finished, and paid for by long bills. This, however, is so customary in poor Ireland that it but little harassed Thaddy. He had a fine, showy house with stables, etc., gardens, an avenue, a walk around his domain, and his neighbors had no more. It was little he cared for comfort, but he would not be the first of the Macdermots that would not be respectable. When his house was finished, Thaddy went into County Galway and got himself a wife with two thousand pounds fortune, for which she had to go to law with his brother-in-law. The lawsuit, the continual necessity of renewing the bills with which the builder in Carrick on Shannon every quarter attacked him, the fruitless endeavour to make his tenants pay thirty shillings an acre for half-reclaimed bog, and a somewhat strongly developed aptitude for potine, sent poor Thady to another world rather prematurely and his son and heir, Lawrence, came to the throne at the tender age of twelve. The Galway brother-in-law compromised the lawsuit. The builder took a mortgage on the property from the boy's guardian. The mother gave new leases to the tenants. Larry went to school at Longford, and Mrs. Mack kept up the glory of Ballycloran. At the age of twenty, Lawrence, or Larry, married a Milesian damsel, portionless but of true descent. The builder from Carrick had made overtures about a daughter he had at home, and offered poor Larry his own house as her fortune, but the blood of the Macdermots could not mix with the lime and water that flowed in the builder's veins. He therefore made an enemy where he most wanted a friend, and brought his wife home to live with his mother. In order that we may quickly rid ourselves of encumbrances, it may be as well to say that during the next twenty-five years his mother and wife died. He had christened his only son Thaddeus, after his grandfather, 
and his only daughter had been christened Euphemia, after her grandmother. He had never got over that deadly builder, with his horrid percentage coming out of the precarious rents. Twice, indeed, had writs been out against him for his arrears, and once he had received notice from Mr. Hyacinth Keegan, the oily attorney of Carrick, that Mr. Flannelly meant to foreclose. Rents were greatly in arrear. His credit was very bad among the dealers in Mohill. With Carrick he had no other dealings than those to which necessity compelled him with Mr. Flannery the builder, and Larry McDermott was anything but an easy man. Thaddy was at this time about twenty-four. As had been the case with his father, he had been educated at a country school. He could read and write, but could do little more. He was brought up to no profession or business. He acted as his father's agent over the property, by which I mean to signify that he occupied himself in harrowing the tenantry for money which they had no means of paying. He was occasionally head-driver and ejector, and he considered, as Irish landlords are apt to do, that he had an absolute right over his tenants as feudal vassals. Still they respected, and to a certain extent loved him, for why wasn't he the master's son, and wouldn't he be the master himself? And he had a regard, perhaps an affection, for the poor creatures. Against any one else he would defend them, and would they but coin their bones into pounds, shillings, and pence, he would have been as tender to them as a man so nurtured could be. With all his faults, Thaddy was perhaps a better man than his father. He was not so indomitably idle. Had he been brought up to anything, he would have done it. He was more energetic, and felt the degradation of his position. He felt that his family was sinking lower and lower daily. But as he knew not what to do, he only became more gloomy and more tyrannical. Beyond this, he had acquired a strong taste for tobacco, which he incessantly smoked out of a dudeen, and was content to pass his dull life without excitement or pleasure. Euphemia, or Feemy, was about twenty. She was a tall, dark girl, with that bold, upright, well-poised figure which is so peculiarly Irish. She walked as if all the blood of the old Irish princess was in her veins. Her step, at any rate, was princely. Feemy also had large, bright brown eyes and long, soft, shining dark hair, which was divided behind and fell over her shoulders, or was tied with ribbons. She had a well-formed nose, as all coming of old families have, and a bright olive complexion. Only the olive was a little too brown, the skin a little too coarse, and then Feemy's mouth was, oh, half an inch too long. But her teeth were white and good, and her chin was well turned and short, with a dimple on it large enough for any finger Venus might have put there. In all, Feemy was a fine girl, in the eyes of a man not too much accustomed to refinement. Her hands were too large and too red, but if Feemy got gloves sufficient to go to mass with, it was all she could do in that way. And, though Feemy had as fine a leg as ever bore a pretty girl, she was never well shod. Her shoes were seldom clean, often slipshod, usually in holes. And her stocking— but no, 
I will not further violate the mysteries of Femi's wardrobe. But if the beautiful girls of this poor country knew but half the charms which neatness has, they would not so often appear as poor Femi too usually appeared. Like her brother, she was ardent and energetic, if she had aught to be ardent about. She was addicted to novels, which she could get from the dirty little circulating library at Mohill. She was passionately fond of dancing, which was her chief accomplishment. She played on an old spinet which had belonged to her mother, and controlled the motions and actions of the two barefooted damsels who officiated as domestics at Ballycloran. Such was the family at Ballycloran in the summer of 1830, and, though not perfect, I hope they have charms enough to make a further acquaintance not unacceptable. End of section two. The McDermott family.